Now let me just make this statement. I'm gonna repeat it twice because I think it, it, it's going to really make sense as we go through this message. The world is not falling apart, it's falling into place. Let me say it again. The world is not falling apart, it's falling into place. You see, we, we operate with some kind of a dualism if we think somehow Satan is winning. Satan has never won, he never will win. All power and authority, Jesus said, is given unto me, and I send you out in my power and my authority that you might do the same. So when you look and you read the headlines and you see what's happening, whether it's in school or business or medicine, wherever that sphere is that concerns you, just remember that God is not absent, that he works all things to the good, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8. And if you can buy into that, because it's by faith you do that, you say, I'm gonna believe that the world is not falling apart. That God has a plan. I don't see it from this perspective yet, but I will one day. The prophet Habakkuk was concerned about the way God operated in his day, and he questioned God. He said, God, why are you doing this? He said, I'm gonna raise up the Assyrians, and they're gonna come in, and they're gonna be actually a tool to correct Israel, and he, he's confused. And God says, he kind of steps him back and says, wonder and be astounded, Habakkuk, for I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. You see, some things fall into the realm of mysteries, the mysteries of God. That Greek word mysterion is a word that means that which is hidden until the right time. It's not weird, it's not strange, it's just hidden because the plan of God is not yet revealed fully that to us. Do you realize that you're living in the best days? People say, I wish I could have lived when Jesus walked the earth. That would be great, but you're living in better days. Let me tell you why. You're living in the time of the fullness of the Spirit, the fullness of revelation, right, and the fullness of prophecy. We're seeing things happen today that they only dreamed about seeing happen. And so we're living in a great day. Today I'm gonna to talk to you about Babylon. And when you study your Bible, you're gonna find there are two Babylons. There's the ancient Babylon of Iraq, but then there is spiritual Babylon that begins in Genesis chapter 10. And we're gonna work our way through that today and bring some really interesting uh, observations about it. And then remember that Babylon is called a mystery. In the book of Revelation, it's Babylon, the mystery all right, and so as we study that, we know that something hidden, but something revealed in its right time. And then also, Babylon is a, is a worldwide uh, system of idolatry. So when you think about it, is Babylon is a physical place, but it's also a spiritual movement contrary to God that begins back in the book of Genesis. So let's just kind of start walking through the word of God with these thoughts. Babylon is the first human kingdom that's mentioned in scripture. Genesis chapter 10, uh, verses eight through 10, it says, Nimrod, he's a leader of this, a mighty one on the earth, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now if Babel sounds familiar, it should, because we remember the Tower of Babel. And this was by his design, this was by his doing, that he was going to build this tower into the heavens and demonstrate to God that he was greater than God. Genesis chapter 11, verse two and four. The whole earth had one language and one speech. 
The reason that we have different languages is because God confused the languages because when mankind on, in that day had one language, one speech, he said there was nothing that would be impossible for them. So God had to divide up because you see, there's so much capacity in human beings. When we start to work together, and if we can do this as a church, we can do this as a nation, then we, we really become unstoppable. And God said, I want you to be unstoppable in the things of God. It says, it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So what did they do? They said, we're going to gather together in this plain called Shinar, and we're gonna build a tower. We're gonna make a name for ourselves. Did you notice the play on words here? God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And you see what Nimrod does? He plays on those words, and he said, let us build ourselves a city. So already you see this rebellion in Nimrod. And so as we see this unfold in Scripture, it's pretty amazing. When you go to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6, the Lord said the people are one and they have one language, and this is what they will begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So what God had to do is he had to confuse the language to stop them from driving this one world government Nimrod was a type or a picture of the coming Antichrist who will head up a one-world government in the end times. Now, if that's new territory to you, we're going to explain it as we go. But there's some things that are happening today in our world that make us wonder about the days we're living in. One of them is big tech. And big tech has tied health, uh, the issue of healthcare into a digital surveillance apparatus and you end up with a very robust platform of automated mass control. Pfizer is, is probably going to make more money than any corporation has ever made in the history of the world with a COVID vaccine. Now, we're not anti-prosperity here. We believe that capitalism is strong and, and powerful, but we believe manipulation is wrong. And there's some things happening in our world that make you just at least scratch your head, if nothing else, and say, why do I feel like something's going on that I don't understand? I think everybody seems to say that, regardless of your political background, regardless of where you are philosophically or religiously, you go like, I don't know, why do things not seem to add up of what's happening in our world? Another thing is global wealth. Uh, seven out of the 10 largest corporations will probably almost triple their, their revenue during COVID, while small mom and pop stores go out of business, restaurants are forced to close, and, and we, have rec we have employment numbers now percentage-wise that are equal to or very close to equal to the Great Depression. And we wonder what's going on. Well, one of the things we have to understand is that in socialism, in socialism, what it's a two-class system. So you have the, that upper-level class of people, the elites, and then you have basically the worker or the lowest class, and then you eliminate middle class. You see, in socialism, the greatest threat to socialism, quite honestly, is Christianity. The second greatest one is middle-class people. Because middle-class people represent freedom. They represent entrepreneurship. 
They represent typically conservative values, family orientation, and, and, and the independence that I don't want to be dependent on the state. I want to make my own way. I want to prove by my own ability that I can do good on planet Earth and I can prosper and take care of my family. Another big issue that we're facing is food, and we already see there's this effort to somehow say it's bad to consume, um, for example, beef. And so we need, Gates has come out with the idea we need to all eat synthetic beef. I'm sure he's carving up a nice steak while he's making that statement. Forgive me if I'm a skeptic, but I just don't buy this stuff. Um, I was uh, speaking at the embassy in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, a number of years ago. Tammy and I went down there, and we were there, and then we shot a pilot for a TV show in India and Ethiopia. While we were there, we were talking to the head of the, the World uh, Food Organization there, and as we were talking to him, I said, well, tell me, what's the, what's the status on food? Or is there a food shortage worldwide? He said, no, we have all the food we need. He said, the problem is terrorists take the food before we can get it to the people. There is no food problem in the world. We can triple feed all the people of the world. And so I realize that something else is going on when we have this, this idea that food is a problem. And then climate control. Now Gates has come out with a great idea. He's going to control the climate. And uh, I don't know, when guys get too rich and too smart, problems occur. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of glad that I'm not rich and I'm not that smart. I just kind of go with the flow, amen? All right. Babylon is an anti-God world system. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Babylon spiritual is an anti-God world system. We're going to take you to the book of Revelation in a minute. We're going to show you some of these things. But whether you know it or not, there are three world city-states in our world today. Now, that term may be new to you, a city-state. What is that? Well, the first one we're going to talk about is Vatican City. And I want you to remember this idea. By the way, all the notes that we have today, if you pull out the app, you can go to Sermon Notes. We give you all the notes for today before the sermon ever starts. So you can just go there, and you can take notes at the bottom. You can follow along with us. So you don't have to go, what did he say? What did he say? Um, it's there. The diagrams will not be there that we have. We'll have a number of those. And you can just take your phone out and take a picture of the screen, and that way you've kind of got it all together. But in 1586, an obelisk was moved to, uh, from Egypt to Vatican City. Now, it's really an interesting thing. It's, uh, that particular obelisk is known in history. It's mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 43 and verse 14. We have a picture of it. If you've never been to Rome, never been to the city there, you'll notice there's an obelisk right in the center of it. That's been there since 1586. It was brought there by orders of the Pope, and the Pope ordered it to be there and be the centerpiece, you notice, of that whole center of the Vatican. The sun god, it represents the sun god. Oblisk, uh, Egyptian obelisk uh, represent the sun god. In fact, they believe that the sun god dwells within those oblisk. An oblisk is actually the, the modern version of the Tower of Babel. And you can see this in all religions. You can see the minaret in, in Islam. You can see the pagoda in, in Japanese, a totem pole in the Native American Indian. You see it here in Egypt with the obelisk. It's, a, it's an unmistakable um, picture. You, when, once you see one, you'll see them, start seeing them everywhere. The other thing that you have to understand is that Vatican operates really with a, a totally separate sense of government. They have a separate flag. They have their own military called the Swiss Guard, if you don't know that. Vatican is the largest owner of private property in the world. 
the gold reserves are stored in the Bank of England and the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank. So Vatican stands out as a city-state. Let me take you to the next one. The next city-state is the city of London Incorporated. Now, when you think of London, you think of just London. But what we, what we have to understand is there is a city-state, just like Vatican, called the city of London Incorporated. Now, remember, Vatican is religious, but the city of London is finance. It's only one square mile. It has a separate flag. It houses the Bank of uh, England, Lloyd's of London, the Stock Exchange, all the British banks, and the crown, which the, the queen refers to as the firm. And it really does control money worldwide in a way that we don't really understand. We think of the financial center being New York. It's really not. It really is London. The third city-state is Washington, D.C. And, oh, let me go back. Did we show the picture? Let's show the picture of the, uh, it's called Cleopatra's Needle. Here it is in the city of London. Looks very familiar, doesn't it? Like something you've maybe seen even in America. Let's go, uh, let's push forward into Washington, D.C., um, that obelisk was built in 1848. It actually is the largest obelisk in the world. We'll take a look at a picture of that. It's beautiful. We all kind of go, wow, that, I remember that. I've been there. But sometimes you don't think about, well, why does it look like that? Why is that? Why do we have one? Why does London have one? And why does Vatican have one? Well, Washington, D.C. is a 10-square-mile area and it has a separate flag, and that separate flag has three stars on it. We'll look at it in a minute. It operates independently, and let's just take a look at the flag of Washington, D.C. Now, you'll notice it has three stars. Kind of interesting that there's three city-states in the world, and there's three stars there. Uh, there's been all kinds of reasons why the three stars are there, and if you, if you search uh, uh, the internet, you'll find a lot of different reasons, but I think it's, it's an unusual, let's call it at least a coincidence, that there are three city-states, that there are three stars, and Washington was the third city-state to be established. So what does all this mean? Well, one of the things that we understand from reading Scripture is that the world will become one world. We already see that happening. We talk about globalization. We talk about this concept of a village and the world being a village. We see the diminishing of nationalism in our country where borders become unimportant. And so the idea of nationalism has almost become a bad word in a lot of people's mind. And nationalism simply means that I value my culture, my nation, uh, my heritage, and all of those things. If I destroy nationalism, what I'm doing is I'm destroying borders, I'm destroying culture, I'm tearing down statues because the past is unimportant. What's really important is today and this new world that is global versus national. Um, the reason that we started American Faith, uh, if you don't know about this, AmericanFaith.com is a, is a site that we created. We, we did it be in desperation to say, we are going to do something. And as it began to grow, it's grown now into a media network. Uh, we have a gala coming up. I, I've got a, I, I think we've got a, a slide we can show on that, but we have a gala coming up on April 18th. We'd love to have you be a part of it. If you'd like to be there, you can email us at info at AmericanFaith.com. We, uh, the, the number of people wanting to be a part of this is already kind of overwhelming, so uh, we, we are going to expand from here into the dock with tables. It'll be a nice dinner. Uh, it's gonna be a great time together. We hope you'll be a part of it. But uh, the reason is because we, we see this one world thing happening, 
And all of us know it's happening. We just don't know what we can do about it. And we intend to do something about it. We intend to, to, to be as much salt and light in that world as we possibly can. That's, that's the goal of American faith. That's the goal of what we're doing here. But what happens is when you see this world coming together, you'll see it in the book of Revelation. It's coming together. Now it's under a one world ruler that we know as the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, um, by the time you get to Revelation chapter 13, has now implemented what's called the mark of the beast that nobody can buy or sell without that mark on their forehead or on their hand. That's about halfway through the great tribulation period or the tribulation period. And then you'll see that kind of move down uh, the road and we'll see it culminate with the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. So what happens is they've come together. So I believe that Already we have these three city-states that are working together uh, on an agenda that is not spoken. But I think what we see in Scripture, if we go to Revelation 16, 19, is that that city, Babylon, I think Babylon is these three cities, spiritual Babylon, that they're going to be pulled apart by God. Look what he says. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So God says, I'm not going to allow this to continue. I'm going to break this up, and I'm going to to show my wrath to those who would want to make a one-world government. Now, a lot of this kind of comes together if you can see it in a diagram. So let me just kind of walk you through a diagram here that might help. If we go back over here to the far left, we see Genesis chapter 10 and 11, the Tower of Babel. And the hardest thing about Scripture is how do I take this great big book that has so many pages, and we've said before the reason they print Bibles in those little skinny pages is to trick you, because you'd never read a book if it was that thick with regular paper, amen? (laughs) So you got skinny pages so that you got, yeah, you can read this book, look, it's only this thick, but it's really got a lot of words in it, right? So if we go over here to the Tower of Babel, back Genesis chapter 10, remember the beginning of the kingdom. Now let me just push it forward to Revelation 14 and 18, and there we see the fall of Babylon. So Babylon is the first human kingdom, it's the last human kingdom on earth. And there is a continuous line of spiritual Babylon from Genesis 10 to Revelation chapter 14. Now, what we've done is we put in here the three city-states, Vatican, London, D.C. Remember, those are the dates that the obelisk was moved there. That's what officially united them under this one-world idea. Now, what's going to happen in a day, today or tomorrow, or a thousand years in the future. We don't know when these events are gonna happen, but we know they will happen because of scripture. There's going to be what's called the rapture of the church, and I'd encourage you to read 1 Thessalonians chapter four. You'll get a picture of what that is. What does that mean? That means all true believers, not all who call themselves a Christian, all true believers who've been born again into the kingdom of God will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There will be a transformation that will take place and then the church will not go through the tribulation period. Now, during this tribulation period, if you, if you kind of walk down through this, it's a seven-year period in duration 
But what happens midway, we don't have this on the, on the diagram today, but halfway through it begins what's called the Great Tribulation. If you're taking notes, you might just read Matthew chapter 24 because it talks about uh, this whole question. The disciples setting down on the Mount of Olives, they said, tell us, Lord, what will be the, the, the sign of your return and the end of the world? And then he begins to unfold what's called the Olivet Discourse. He unfolds the whole plan in chapter 24 of Matthew. And when you get about halfway through that, he says, and then there will be a great tribulation. The then there will be a great tribulation corresponds with Revelation chapter 13, the revealing of the Antichrist. Now, what happens? You're in the tribulation period here now in scripture. We see the fall of Babylon that we're talking about today. And at the end of that age is the battle of Armageddon. And in that battle of Armageddon, it's where all the kings of the earth assembled themselves, Psalm 2 says, against the Lord and against his anointed. And they said, let us break the bands uh, and the bonds that hold us back and, uh, and, and let, us, let us put down uh, the whole idea of, of God. And God says, no, I'm going to judge now the nations of the earth. Uh, so the battle of Armageddon comes uh, at the end of that, uh, the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Christ is revealed there in Revelation chapter 19, uh, verses 11 through 16. So that gives you a little bit of a, of, a, of a visual picture of what's happening here. Here's the good news. Babylon is powerless against the Lord God Almighty. Let me tell you how Babylon creeps into your life. He creeps into your life with pride. Every time you get proud, it's a spirit of Babylon getting you. You have to resist it. The Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due season he may exalt you. The fervent prayer of a righteous man, the Bible says, avails much. You see, you always wanna be in a posture of humility before God. Never arrogancy, never know-it-all, always teachable, letting God direct your step. The spirit of Babylon gets into you when you become selfish, when you hold on to things. What's the first lesson you teach children as they're growing up is how to share. You know why? Because it doesn't come naturally. You see, even a little baby exhibits, a little child exhibits this idea of selfishness, right? We didn't teach them. I mean, I've never heard of a parent say, I wanna teach you how to be selfish. No, we gotta teach them the opposite. Share your toys, you know, share your food, you know, don't do that. I mean, you know, and we're always correcting, right? And that's what God's doing. He's correcting us all in our journey of life. Don't be selfish. Be a generous person. You know, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Because you'll think, you'll start to depend on your treasures on earth. He's not, he's not telling us don't save and don't be wise or any of those things. He's saying, no, what I want you to do is I want you to have a great balance between this life and the life that is to come. Take what you have and, and invest it in the, in the future of, of the kingdom of God because you're gonna get great treasures in, in heaven by what you invest here on earth. And you balance that with good responsible living for your family and your future. You see, it's always that, that two sides of the same coin, amen? That we wanna be responsible, good stewards here on earth, and we wanna be fueling the kingdom of God with our resources. So as we look at scripture, it says here in Revelation chapter 17 and verse five, mystery Babylon, remember? 
musterion, that which was hidden but is revealed at a later time. And we're seeing times now where we begin to understand Babylon more than any other generation. It's called Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Those are strong words that God speaks, right? Chapter 18, verses two and three. Babylon the Great is fallen. You know what makes heaven so sweet for the believer? Because even if you don't live out your Christian life perfectly every day and nobody does, you know what is called what you're called to do, the kind of life you're supposed to live. And so when you don't you don't live up to that expectation of God in your life, what do you do? You go, God, I'm sorry. I wanna be a better person, I wanna walk with you, I wanna be faithful with you, I wanna, I wanna learn from your word. And see, that's what's called conviction, not guilt. See, God never guilts anyone. You know, uh, as they say, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, if you feel guilty, you gotta make somebody else feel guilty, amen? But you see, it's conviction. Conviction is, brings about transformation, brings about Christ-likeness in your life. It's a big difference. It says, it's fallen and has become the dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth, that's politics, have committed fornication with her. The merchants, that's business, of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So spiritual Babylon prospers people, but it's anti-God. See, prosperity can be a sign that God has honored you and been faithful to you and, and been good to you. It also can be a sign of greed and selfishness and, and every other kind of evil thing. It really comes back to attitude and heart, doesn't it? You know, worldliness is not defined by how much you make or where you live or what kind of car you drive. It's really defined by the attitude of your heart. Years ago, I was doing a crusade down in Brazil, and we went to a favela there, and uh, it's just a giant trash heap where thousands upon thousands of people live. I mean, it's like the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. It makes Skid Row look like the Ritz Hotel, I'll be honest with you. And I was standing there and just watching that people live there on this trash heap. They lived there, they had their children there, they died there. And as I was watching, I noticed that there was two men that were fighting over a piece of cardboard. A piece of cardboard was about three by three, and they were fighting over it because they wanted it. And I thought, you know, worldliness, selfishness, and greed, they function on any level. It has to be the attitude of your heart. God, I just want my heart to be right as I walk with you. And it says in Revelation chapter 18, verse 21, a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. This morning I posted a picture of a little girl and it, she's holding a sign and it says something to the effect, this is on Instagram, and, I, and it says, um, we're just kids. We like playing with Mr. Potato Head and reading Dr. Seuss. Will you just leave us alone? <laughs> and then I put the scripture on there where it says, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better to hang a millstone around your neck and be cast into the midst of the sea. 
Realize that we're in a battle, we're in a real war, and the war on the, the front line of this battle is the war against our children. I've never seen such an onslaught against children in my life. And we, it used to be that the big threat was human trafficking, and now that still exists, but now it's the controlling and manipulating of children so young and I really believe God is going to give wisdom on how we are gonna function as a faith community to overcome some of this junk that's going on in our world. I love Revelation chapter one, verse four and eight. It says, grace to you and peace from him who was, who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler over all the kings of the earth. Can I say that again? And the ruler over all the kings of the earth. He begins by saying grace and peace. He's using the Greek and the Hebrew greeting. He says grace, that's a Greek greeting. Peace, shalom. I want you to experience this grace and this peace in your life, and I want you to know it's from him who is, right, he is today, he's alive, who was, go back in time, Jesus was walked the earth, who was, and who is to come, the returning Christ, amen, from the seven spirits before the throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, he's always faithful, when you talk to him in prayer, he's faithful, listen to him, who was the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, who washed us from our sins in his own blood. Do you realize when you come to Christ, all of your sins, all of your guilt, all your junk is washed away? Have you thought about that? You say, well, that sounds really cool. If I would just show a video of all the bad things you did in church to everybody, how would you feel? Not good. What if they were all washed away and all you saw, the video of your life, was clean, pure, human beings standing before the throne of God. That's what it says. You're washed free from the, all your sins, all that stuff. Man, if you can't put your hands together for that, I don't know what you can, amen? And he went on to say this, look, and he's made us kings and priests. Do you realize you're a king and a priest in the kingdom of God? Which are you? I don't know. Is, is there a bad pick? I'm a king and a priest in the kingdom of my God. Look what it says here. To God the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Do you realize how crazy it was for John the Apostle in 90 AD to say every eye is going to see him? What could he have imagined would have been the, the device that would have allowed that to happen? How can an entire planet now of seven billion people, if Christ were to turn today, how could a planet that big in so many remote places ever see Christ all at one time? Well, there's only two options. One, it's supernatural. Or number two, there's some device that might be able to just capture stuff in real time. You pick which one. Maybe it's a both and. He's coming and every eye will see him and those who pierced him. Do you realize it says even the dead are going to see him? Those who put the, the nails in his hands at Calvary, they're gonna see him when he comes back. That's why the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter two that, that this Jesus whom you crucified, this Jesus, God has made both Lord and Christ and every knee is going to bow. 
and every tongue is going to confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming, amen? That day is coming. And it says all the tribes of the earth, all those who, who came together in conspiracy against the Lord, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will say we were so misguided, we were so wrong. They will mourn because they see him coming. And then it says, even so, amen. And amen means so be it. So be it. So be it. The good news is, that regardless what you go through in life, regardless how difficult and challenging it is, and by the way, the church is always going to be counterculture. When the church tries to be too cool, too much like the world, it ceases to be the church. That ain't the church. The church is built on the blood of the martyrs. Those who refuse to burn, refuse to bend, refuse to submit to those in any, anyone except God himself. Amen? Amen. God, glory be to God. Well, I want you to know, just, I, I want you just to, to stand with me. For, no, you stay seated for a minute. Let me, do, let me just do this. If you have not come to a point in your life where you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't emphasize how important this is. If in your heart right now you say, well, I think I'm a Christian, I, I'd like to move you out of I think I am, into I know I am. That's just faith. See, I don't have much faith. You don't need much faith. Jesus said you can move a mountain with a little faith. Think what you can do with a little faith. So there comes a point where you say, I do believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins. That's your first step in salvation. I've got to have that faith that he did that for me. And why did he do it? Because I was guilty before God in my sins. Then the scripture says that he was buried according to the scriptures. What is that? He was put in a tomb for three days, as the scripture said, and then he rose from the dead. So he died for my sins, but he rose from the dead, resurrected for my life. You see, if he just died for your sins, you wouldn't have life. So he had to die and rise again for me to have life. And so when I put my faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm saying I believe that he not only took away my sins, but he gave me new life. This is what it means to be born again, to be saved. These are all interchangeable terms. To be a Christian in the truest sense of the word, this is what it takes. And that comes through a simple prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, you can pray it right where you stand or sit right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you were buried according to the scriptures, that you rose from the dead on the third day to give me eternal life. And I receive life from you right now, Lord Jesus. Save me, Lord Jesus, right now. And then just thank him. Just say, God, I thank you. I thank you, God. You know, when you come into the kingdom of God, it, it doesn't come with angel wings and heavenly whistles. It comes with a, with a peace that passes all understanding. I just know, I know you now, God. Will I ever doubt? Will I ever struggle? Absolutely, you're still human. But remember, when he is faith, when we are, when we are, where we are faithless, he remains faithful, scripture says, because he cannot deny himself. Why? What do you mean not deny himself? He's in you. Christ in you is what makes you a Christian. Isn't that great? 
Amen.